God be with you. We're still doing all right? Yeah? Excellent. So we are two weeks into our fall sermon series, and we're calling our sermon series The Things We Wear. Each week, we're exploring one of the things that Jesus offers us to proverbially wear. A posture, a rhythm, an attitude, a disposition. Something that once we wear it, once we get underneath it, we find ourselves entering into a whole new way of being human and alive in this world. A way our tradition teaches that hums with reverence. A way that is life as it was always meant to be. So last week we talked about rest, and this morning we talk about the second thing. Uh, It's one I've been sitting with for a while. It's been perpetually on the back burner for a few years now. And I want to offer it to you this morning because I I think this is one we all uh, think about. I think it's one that we all need to try on. I think it's one we all struggle to try on, and we get a bit confused about Just what is it? How does it work? Um, Almost to the point where we get so confused, we take it off and just leave it behind. And so this morning, my friends, we talk about hope. And we'll do that by talking about a truth, 87%. We talk about that scripture from the book we've never heard of. We'll talk about where hope lives And we'll talk about the flow of it all. But first, as we enter into this time of listening for God's voice, uh, why don't we take a breath? We're each here for different reasons. We're each here seeking after something different. And we ask God to speak through these words and through God's own words, giving us a good and beautiful word to chew on. And so God, be with us. Amen. So I want to begin with a truth that I am 87% convinced of. Only 87%. It's not 100% because, to be honest, I I just don't like this truth. The 13% is just like straight up denial. And that truth is this. For a world made by a good and just God, More often than not, our world does not look or feel like it. The truth is, to be alive, to be here in this world, to live and move and have our being, to enter into it all fully, it means that we will suffer. Anyone with me on that? Yeah. It's a truth we experience more than we know, isn't it? We experience it mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. We experience it on every single level of our being. Life would almost be unbearable if we're not for all the other stuff we experience, the beautiful things we get alongside the terrible. Struggle, our experience tells us, isn't a consequence of sin. It's not a consequence of faithlessness. It's not karma. It's simply baked into all of this. It's simply how it is. 
The writer Fred Beekner was reflecting upon this reality after a friend of his tragically and suddenly died. And caught between the pain of losing his friend and the joy of having had that friendship, he wrote this. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And so it's, it's through these three sentences that I actually first experienced that wisdom that says something like, never meet your heroes. As I was finding my voice as a preacher and figuring out how I thought what I thought, uh, and beginning to put into words what's in here and in here. Oh, Beekner, he was my hero. He was my guy. He was that guy who first rearranged the air for me, who showed me what the craft of preaching could be like, who if he said it, I would highlight it, and I would underline it, I would circle it, and I would believe it. Anyone have someone like that? Yeah, I'm sure we all do. We, we need people like that. We need the air to be rearranged from time to time. But it was this quote that first made me go, what? Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, no. No, Fred, no. And it wasn't the first part of this. I'm down with that. The world is beautiful and terrible. I've lived that. I get that. I'm 87% convinced of it. But it's the last part that got me. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid? How can we not be afraid, Fred? How can we not be afraid when suffering looms around every corner? How can we not be afraid when we experience just how fragile and broken this world can be? Don't be afraid? Come on. Anyone with me? Now, it's been a while since I first read this. Um, and I'm still like 90% sure I disagree with him. Uh, but, but I get where he's going. I get what he's trying to get at. He's after exactly the same thing that the writer of that Bible passage we heard was after. The passage we heard earlier is from, is from a part of the Bible that many people probably don't know exists. Uh, but it's one of the best parts of the Bible. It's definitely one of my favorites. And it's the book of Lamentations. It's deep within the Hebrew Scriptures, just after Jeremiah. And scholars, they think that this book reflects upon one of the hardest and most difficult times in Israelite history. Probably around you know, mid-6th century BCE. This time when the temple was destroyed and the people were exiled this time when the Israelites lost two of the most important, most foundational things to who they are and what they were about. They lost their temple, and they lost their land. Lamentations is this book about how at the very same moment, these people lost their faith, and they lost their home. And the whole book is them lamenting, thus the creative title. It's them crying out to God as they experience just how terrible 
just how fragile and just how broken this world can be. And it's there, in their lament, in that passage that we heard, that we hear a bit of the same wisdom that Fred Beekner is trying to poke at. And we hear it in passages like this. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits and to the woman who diligently seeks. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. Remember, the worst is never the worst. The reason we don't have to be afraid, or as I might rephrase it, the reason we don't have to give in to despair is because we can have hope. Hope. Hope is that thing that we need to wear as we navigate through this terrible and beautiful world. And now I'm very well aware that our response to this bit of wisdom may be the same as my response to Fred Beekner's line. Hope? <laughs> really? Hope is the answer? That's going to be how we navigate through it all? Anyone feeling that? Yeah, I get it. When hope is stacked up against everything that we face in this world, when it's stacked up against illness, abuse, addiction, depression, violence, global warming, racism, the prospect of the flames doing well, when it's stacked up against everything else, hope can seem a bit ridiculous, can it? It can seem a bit too sentimental, a bit too wishy-washy, a bit too weak. Hope, oh my God, can seem a bit hopeless. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that can help us reclaim hope. That can help us see hope as something that can actually help us navigate through this life and even help us out. And that thing is this. It's all about where hope lives. As the writer Rebecca Solnit points out, hope lives between pessimism and optimism. Optimism, she says, is the idea that it'll all work out for the best. And pessimism, she says, is the idea that it'll all work out for the worst. And hope, she writes, Hope is holding on to the fact that it might be okay. Hope is not the blind assurance that things will work out perfectly. It is a subversive trust in the kind of God that we have. All throughout the Bible, there is this idea that's never really named but it's hinted at again and again and again. It's baked into the whole thing. And it's this idea that God is a very particular kind of God. It's this idea, as Walter Brueggemann would put it, that God is the spirit of possibility. That God's a spirit of possibility. That God is a God who moves over the chaos and the darkness, bringing order and light. That God is a God who moves over fear and death, bringing love and light. That God is a God who moves over injustice and brokenness, 
bringing justice and reconciliation. This is the kind of God that we have, the Bible tells us. The kind of God who can make the impossible possible. We can have hope because God is a spirit of possibility. Hope is rooted in this idea that because God has moved, maybe, just maybe, God will move again. And because our hope is that, hope, if it's anything, is a scandalous and courageous act of faith. And so if that's what hope is, if hope isn't blind optimism, but this act of faith, our question becomes, well, how do we, how do we wear it? How do we do hope? How do we practice hope in a way that makes us avoid fear and despair? I mean, those are our questions, right? How does hope work? And I think we can find our answers. I think we can find a way to wear it by looking at the flow of hope. By looking at the three movements that we need to do in, in order to root ourselves firmly in this kind of hope. Hope rooted in the spirit of possibility. And that flow begins with looking back. It begins with memory. It begins by looking back on how God has already moved in our lives, in our world. By reflecting on what the spirit of possibility has already done. Seeing the times she did the impossible. Seeing the times she erased the writing on the wall. Seeing the times she's picked us up, dragged us forward, and helped us through things that we thought would kill us. And sitting with all those memories and letting them tell us something really, really important. We're still here. We are still here. We look back to remember all those times we thought our story would end but didn't. And we let those memories nourish and embolden our faith in that spirit of possibility. And having looked back, we move to the second stage. We look from the past to the present. Having learned from the past, having nourished that faith, we notice how what we see in front of us, suddenly they change. What we see in front of us isn't something that's insurmountable, undefeatable, and a death sentence. But instead we see it as a prayer. As one more thing for the Spirit to move through. As one more thing for us to overcome. As one more thing to cause us to trust in the truth. As the poet Rumi said, all darkness is followed by sunshine. And so having looked back, having looked here, we now enter into the final stage. We look ahead. And this is perhaps the hardest part, but none of this is easy. If you're looking for something easy, you're in the wrong place. It's tough because this is when our definition of hope here in the church maybe differs a bit from other definitions of hope. Because we don't look ahead 
and passively sit back waiting for God to do her thing, waiting for the road to clear and waiting for the day to break. Our hope is a lot sweatier and more scandalous than that. We look ahead and trusting that God, because God did move, God will move again. And then we actively step forward, daring to act like the future we long for is already here. We look ahead and let that faith in God change the possibilities of what could be. And we move forward, pretending, assuming, daring to believe that what could be will happen. And so this is the kind of hope that we have to wear. And we need it. We need, we need it for ourselves. We need it for all the things that are stacked up against us. Because it's in the hope that God's comfort is there in that hope that we can act like illness will not get the best of us. It's in hope of God's love that we can act that what people say about us will not define us. It's hope in God's grace that lets us act like our failures and our fallings will not have the last word. It's in this flow of hope that lets us live the kind of life that God is calling us to have. And it's also in this hope for God's justice that lets us tear down broken systems and build up new ones. It's hope in God's mercy that lets us forgive each other and seek understanding. It's in hope in God's generosity that we can build a world where everyone has enough and everyone has a place. We need to wear hope. But we don't wear it sentimentally. We wear it boldly. Because it's the posture that allows us to exist fully and deeply in this terrible and beautiful world. But maybe you're thinking, Nick, that's a lot to remember. Three steps? Come on. Boil it all down for us. It takes a lot of intention to hope. And so if I could boil it all down for you, if I could leave you with one thing, I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this blessing. May you breathe deeply and may you struggle well. May you, who are experiencing fear and despair, may you who dreads that tomorrow will be exactly like today, may you who need some movements in your life, may you put on hope. And may you put it on. And may you breathe deeply. May you breathe in that spirit of possibility, that spirit that brings light into darkness and life into death. May you breathe her in, and may you struggle well. May you be courageous and bold and step forward, knowing and trusting that God is on the move. And so having put on hope, may you go in peace. May you go in love. May you go and do it loudly. And may you know that the God of love, the Christ of grace, and that Spirit is with you each and every step of the way. And to that, all of God's people say, Amen.